We're in Acts chapter 28. If you have a Bible, I ask that you would open there. As you're going there, I want to remind you of a couple of passages. Because this chapter is the closing of the book of Acts. And it's been over a year we've been studying it together. And what the book of Acts, the theme is, is uh, Jesus building his church. Not a, not a building with steeples. Uh, uh, it's a, a congregation of peoples. God is building you up. God is making you strong. God is making your marriage. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make your marriage strong, your walk strong. Your walk, you're stronger in prayer. You're stronger in the word so that he can then use you to build his church. It's interesting. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's what the Lord is doing here. He's building his church. But as we study the book of Acts, it's so beautiful because we realize that he uses people. He uses people like Peter and Paul. We are weapons in the war. We are vessels, you know, and so God doesn't need me. God wants to give himself to you, but he uses people that he pours through. We're, we're vessels in this thing. Uh, not only weapons and vessels, but we're also tools in his hands so that he can build his church. And let me tell you something, man. This is what life is all about. It's not about just having fun or entertainment or doing your own thing or your own will. Listen, we were saved to serve and we'll have fun along the way when we do his will. And so it's important for us to understand that he wants to build his church. The book of Acts is all about that. We want to be weapons. We want to be vessels. We want to be tools. And, and, and what we find is that Paul, this is why so much of it is about the life of Paul. Because he says in uh, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, and again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what the Greek word there is mimic me. And so this is why we have so much about his life so that we can see an example of what God can do through someone who was all messed up, who had a whole bunch of sin in his life, but Jesus Christ came in, washed it all away, anointed him, appointed him, and used him for his glory. And so that's why we study his life, and that's why there's so much here about him. Another important passage is in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17, where Paul said, um, and, and you have me as an example. Brethren, join in following my example and, and those who have walked like me, for you have us, he says, as a pattern. And so the first Corinthians passage, the Greek word is mimic. We're to mimic him as he mimicked Christ. And the Philippians passage, the Greek word uh, translated pattern is tupos. It's where we get our word typology. Paul is like a typology of a Christian. And so that's why as we're going through, we're learning about his journey to Rome and all the things that he's going through, you're wondering, well, why are we studying so much about him? And the answer is, it's not just information about how Jesus built his church, but what we do is we learn and we glean, and then there's transformation, how we can also be used to build 
his church? Is there anyone here that wants to be used by God to build his church? Is there anyone here who wants to be used by God to save souls, to save marriages, to build up families? Is there anyone here who wants to be used by God to change the world for good, to be faithful, to plant his seed? See, this is what it's all about. And I pray that we would just get caught up, even consumed in it, the way that Paul was. Because someone might look at this and they'll think, well, that's Paul, that's the apostle, that's someone different, it doesn't apply to me. And you just messed yourself up because it can apply to you if you want that. And so as we're going through in Acts chapter 27, we saw the crazy storm and, you know, God said don't go there, but they went anyways and then... They caught, caught up in this storm and you would figure then God would say, okay, then I'm done with you because I told you not to do it and you did it anyways. But God, in his amazing grace, said, that's okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to reroute you and I'm still going to use your life and there's still going to be ministry, but now it's going to be in Malta. You guys ever do that? Aren't you grateful for God's grace where uh, he gives us the second chance, you know? I mean, how, how many of you here, you use the uh, navigation app when you're driving? even though I like the old school Thomas guides, man, remember those? But the navigation, and every once in a while, you make a wrong turn. Do you ever do that? And isn't it cool how you see the whole thing shift and it kind of reroutes? And God says, hey, I'm still going to put you on track. I'm still going to use your life. I'm still going to do something beautiful. Watch what happens. And that's what happened here in this island of Malta. It's still there, a little small island, beautiful place south of Italy, about 17 miles long and nine miles wide. And what we learn through Paul is what Christ does in the church. So the first point for today, if you're taking notes, is that in Christ, the church is invincible. In Christ, the church is invincible. And so we read in verse 1 of Acts 28, Now when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta, And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, "Hmm, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. You see, in in Christ, it's important for us to know that the church is invincible, you know, incapable of being conquered, overcome, or subdued. We will go through storms, but we cannot be sunk no matter how bad the storm, in Christ. And I'm talking about in Christ. I'm not talking about outside of Christ. In Christ, we are invincible as Christians. We know God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? They will come against us. But it doesn't matter who, what, or how many come against us. None of them can stop us. Because if Christ we choose, we cannot lose. In Christ, the church, you are invincible. And when we go through storms, we won't get sunk. We might get bit by snakes, but God will work his plan. You know, we're also invincible physically until the day we're done. 
That's why we can go on missions trips to Cambodia without any fear. I am so amazed at some Christians who say they love Jesus and believe his word, but they're afraid to go on a missions trip, to go down to Mexico, to go to Cambodia. Listen, you can go anywhere. You're invincible until God says you're done. You know, we here, even then, and the day will come when death you know, enters in, and even then we will win because we are invincible. The church is invincible in Christ. The, the storm tried to stop him, couldn't stop him. The snake tries to bite him. Listen, there's no need to fear spiders or snakes or, or even Satan himself. As we've seen in the life of Paul, the storm won't seek us and the snake might sink its teeth into us and it might hurt, but it won't harm. But if, you know, we're not done, then there's more race to run and all we have to do is just shake it off, man. Shake it off. And that's what Paul does here. Look again in verse 5. It says, but, but, he, but he shook off the creature into the fire and he suffered no harm. You see, Jesus had predicted something like this before he ascended in Matthew 16, 17, and 18. He said, you don't have to worry about snakes. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now listen, I can't help but think that the snakes and the scorpions that Jesus is referring to, they're not just literal snakes, you know, they're spiritual snakes. And so we consider the context there and Satan appeared as a serpent in Genesis 3. Paul referred to him as a serpent in 2 Corinthians 11. John did in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. What's God talking about there? When he says, listen, I give you authority to trample over them. Listen, go and bind the enemy. Go take steps of faith. Get involved in ministry. Preach the gospel. Share the love. Win souls to Christ. Why? Because in Christ, the church is invincible. You know, all we have to do is do our part, you know, to keep the fire burning, to pick up sticks, to warm the people. And, and if in doing so, a viper suddenly latches to our arm, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to freak out. What we do is we shake him off. Where's the devil going? He's going to go in the fire. And it's important for us when we're reading this you know, you might read it and you might think, okay, well, the Lord's telling us what happened to Paul. Yeah, he is, but he's also telling us what, what, what can happen with us. It's not just information for something that happened back then. There are things that God wants to happen now. I want you to go, and, and it's time for you to start doing a little something. A little something, are you willing to maybe pick up some sticks and be part of the church and do a little this? And, and you may think it's insignificant, but it's huge because that, that, that cold weather and the, the whole thing that's going on, it makes a difference in the life of the people. And so you're there and you're, you're getting involved in ministry. Next thing you know, the devil comes and he attaches and you just know it's him. Why? Because he's a liar. What do you do with those lies? You shake them off put him in the fire, and you keep serving the Lord. You see, that's what we see here, this whole visual. There's no doubt about it. What God is saying is, listen, you don't have to be afraid of snakes or, or scorpions or Satan. 
You've got to continue to follow the Lord because what I've found is that if you don't think you're invincible, if you don't realize that in Christ you're invincible, then you'll be paralyzed by fear. And let me tell you something. Fear is not something David had when he slew the giant. You understand? In Christ, we are invincible. Secondly, in Christ, the church is honorable. Look at verse 6. It says, However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. <laughs> In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And here it is. And they also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. You see, in Christ, in Christ, and I'm talking about in Christ, the church is invincible, and in Christ the church is honorable. And of course, this is not any type of praise directed towards us. It's an honor that we seek, not from men, but from God, but because of you, the fact that you live an honorable life, we experience these things. I mean, I thank God for those who have gone before us. You know, my, my, one of my pastors, Adrian Rogers, or maybe a Chuck Smith, some of these guys who died with integrity and they preached the word and, and they lived the word and they loved the Lord and we honor their life and we can, we're called to do that. We're called to live an honorable life, an obedient life that when they look at the church, unfortunately, what they see so many times is Jesus' name dragged through the mud through disobedience. He's dishonored. But when you live a life of obedience... And then you go and then there's opportunities. Then what ends up happening there in verse 10 is interesting. They also honored us in many ways. And all I'm talking about there again is just living an honorable life. There's a big difference. What we find in looking at this is that in Christ we're invincible and in Christ we're honorable. You know, it may take time as it did with Paul, you know, but if there's true consistency, eventually they will see. You know, at first the men of Malta didn't think much of Paul. When they saw the viper hanging from his hand, they mistakenly concluded that perhaps he had escaped the sea, but now justice is going to kill him. But they were wrong. You know, some vipers we know have that, that powerful venom and it affects the tissue causing the swelling pain and what's called necrosis, which then leads to cell death and decay and it usually occurs in a dramatic collapse due to the rise of the immediate blood pressure. And this is what the natives expected at that time. But they, they were wrong. Paul just shook it off, suffered no harm. I like the way the NLT puts it in chapter 28, verse 6, that people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, 
they changed their minds and decided that he was a god. And so they said he was bad and they were wrong. Then they said he was a god and, of course, they were wrong. And it's interesting. I was listening to Don McClure and he's talking about how Paul probably handled the whole thing. Anyone here ever get bit by a snake? Just out of curiosity? Yeah, we got, we're going to talk afterwards. I mean, just imagine what it would be like getting bit by a snake and it's hanging on your hand and it's a viper. How many of you here would freak out? You know, we probably would. But, but here's the thing. I don't think Paul was saying, you know, freaking out. <gasps> I don't think he was freaking out, like running around, like, you know, like afraid. Because otherwise they wouldn't have thought he was a god. And to me, when I, when I think, I think what happened, and Don McClure, he, he brings out that point, he was just calm. He was cool. He knew the promise of God, you know, that, that he was going to Rome. You know, just calm and confident, shakes it off. The enemy belongs in the fire. The devil get behind me. You know, you're, you're lying to me. You're trying to tell me this, that, and the other, but listen, I'm not going to let it take root in my heart. I'm not going to freak out. I, I'm just going to shake it off, and that's what Paul does. So anyways, they, they think he's bad. They're wrong. They think he's a god. He's wrong. And, and, and then what ends up happening is after they really get to know him uh, with just honesty. It took three months to really get to know him, but when they really got to know him, they were blessed and impressed they honored them. They showered them. I believe that a lot of these guys on this ship got saved because Paul, you know, was, he led them to not just a safety in Malta, but I believe safety in a relationship with God. There's no doubt. They honored them. As a result, they were showered with honors, the New Living Translation says. And so you're wondering, well, then how did they get to that place? And the answer is the, the, a man named Publius, we read the story here, he was the leading citizen, the chief magistrate. He received them. He lodged them. Uh, in our Bible, it says that he entertained them, but it's not uh, what you think. He wasn't juggling or singing for them. Uh, he was just being a friend. He was being hospitable. And what we find is that when this guy's doing this, I believe it was probably the enemy trying to distract them. Then his father gets sick. And so the enemy thinks, well, I'm going to just disrupt this whole thing. You know, and the enemy comes in and he throws a wrench in it, right? But Paul here, this is so cool. Paul goes and he lays hands on his father and he heals him. And the next thing you know, all the people from the island come. And then what does Paul do? They, they lay hands and then they heal. And God does a great work. And again, that's another fulfillment of Jesus' words in Mark 16, 18, which says, they will take up serpents and they'll be safe, they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And so, you know, it uh, doesn't matter, the, the fever, the dysentery, the infection is gone. God took it away, and that led to the healing ministry. And as a result of that, they were showered with honors. You know, and, and you might wonder, well, why did the Holy Spirit write that? Why did the Holy Spirit tell us that they were honored, that they were showered with this honor. And some say, again, it's just a testimony of telling you what happened back then. But I also believe what God wants to do is share what can happen now. Because, you know, when you and I use our gifts under the grace and anointing of the Holy Spirit, 
when we fulfill our function in our family and with this flock, when ministry takes place, and I'm talking about when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God, when true church, I'm not talking about people just playing church, I'm talking about a church where God himself is moving. When that happens, when people are exercising they, their gifts, when they found their place in the body of Christ, and they begin to function with that faithfulness, no matter what it is, what you'll find is that God will be honored. And, and it's interesting because then people will begin to see the, the Lord in you. You know, I, I like the passage in 1 Timothy 5.17. It says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And so these are guys that are servant leaders loving leaders when it talks about them ruling the church it's not talking about them shoving them it's talking about them loving them and when they love them and when they do their best to teach the word then there's a double honor that's extended to them but not just the pastors not just the teachers or leaders anyone the, the bible talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 23, it says, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. You see, and there's that word again, honor. You know, when we don't just play church, but we are the church, we discover our gifts, we develop them, we deploy them, we exercise, we serve, we give, we belong, we become part of the church then there's this honor that God talks about, whatever the position may be. You know, here he talks about those, you know, who we might bestow less honor from a physical sense because they're not as visible. God, in his eyes, finds them to be more honorable. And those, really, we bestow greater honor because what he's doing is he's using the church, uh, the body as an example, right? And, and when we realize that, then what we find is that God wants to do a work in every single member, whether we're visible or not, right? You know, the, the, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, Beloved, in this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your flesh at the expense of the soul. Live an honorable life among the non-believers. And that's what we want when we see what they did there in that place. What it is is as a, as a, an example for us. Lord, make me like that. You know, and it might be picking up sticks and God does a work or it might be laying hands and someone's healed. Whatever the part is, Lord, help us to be faithful in exercising our gifts. And what we find is that in Christ we're invincible and Christ were honorable. And then the second one, it kind of goes, and the third one, it kind of goes right with it. The third point is that in Christ, the church is helpful. The church is helpful. Because watch what happens next. It says, After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there we circled round and reached Regium, and after one day the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. 
And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum and Three Inns. When Paul saw them, notice, he thanked God and took courage. And so when you read this right here, some might think, well, it's just the way that Paul got to Rome. We see the details of his journey. He's getting closer and closer. But as he's getting closer and closer to standing before Nero, do you ever think what was going through his mind? What's going through his mind at this point? No doubt, I'll bet you anything, the enemy was doing his best to plant thoughts that didn't belong. Yeah, you're, you're going to go to Rome, you're going to fail in ministry, or you're going to die in, in misery. You know, Nero, according to history, was 26 years old at this time, and he had already murdered his mother, he murdered his wife, he was aggressively taking power away from the Roman Senate, you know, and here's Paul about to stand before a man who murdered his mother, who murdered his wife, who was murdering people. And so in his mind, he's probably thinking things that maybe were discouraging, right? I mean, he might be thinking your arrival in Rome means you're going home, Paul. The race is over, you're done, and maybe Paul was down. And, you know, because the truth is, even if you're a strong Christian, uh, yeah, I survived the storms and, you know, slayed the serpent, healed the multitudes, proclaimed the gospel with power all around the world. It, it didn't matter. We all go through those days where the devil swings his sword of doubt and discouragement. Now, sometimes we're able, like David, to encourage ourselves. Thank God for that. But isn't it a blessing when sometimes the Lord uses people to encourage you? And, and they become the helpers. They, they become, what, what I'm talking about here, what, what this whole section is, Paul's traveling, he's going, but then you've got these guys that meet him. It says again in verse 15, and when they were, were there, then when the brethren heard about us, so they had heard about Paul from Rome, they came to meet us as far as Appy Forum and Three Ends. And they had traveled 45 miles to go meet him so that they could travel another 45 miles to do what? To walk with him. One place is 45 miles, another is, is 26 miles. They had traveled to meet him so that they can walk with him. And what we find in this is that God used them to encourage the apostle. You know, apparently... They, they met, and, 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 and I, what I found in life, you know, when we look at, at, at Paul, I, I know he was struggling because it says that when he saw them, it's interesting, in one translation it says, and he took new courage because now it's a new work and he needed new courage. How did he get that new courage? When he saw some people who just wanted to walk with him. And I tell you what, we need that. As a pastor, as people involved in ministry, as leaders, you know, one of my, uh, when I'm going through the Old Testament, I don't know if you guys have ever uh, gone through where it talks about David's cabinet, David's government, and all the people with all the different positions. I love when you read in 2 Samuel 16, 16 and 17, and then with Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 5, there were individuals who were simply identified as the king's 
friend. Sometimes that's just, that's all you need. You just need a friend. Someone who's not looking for a position. They're not looking to be placed somewhere in the ministry. All they want to do is be your friend. And I think that that's where Paul was right here. He's like, you know, man, these people, all they, they came all this way to walk with me? Imagine that. And what that did was that encouraged him. You know, what we find is that God would use them to help the apostle Paul. And I don't know how you feel about that because sometimes we feel like, well, I can't really do much. But, but you can be a friend, huh? You can walk with someone. You can just come and say, hey, I just want to encourage you. Sometimes, you know, we're going to see this whole helping thing is pretty cool, you know, because I know we'll watch TV. We see the commercials, the Honda dealer, the, the what are they called? The helpful Honda, Honda dealer, right? The helpful Honda dealer, random acts of kindness, just random acts of kindness. And some of those commercials are pretty cool. When you think about it, you know, but I think for Christians, that, that would be a cool thing. Just random acts so that we can see that this is what God's called us to be, sensitive to his spirit. You know, this week, some guy came in and did just a random act of kindness. And I don't, you know, I didn't want to take it. I didn't want to receive it, man, but I couldn't say no. And this is a blessing, encouragement to me, my family, others around me. I mean, just out of the blue. And so I think as a church, we need to, to be friends. We need to love. We need to help. We need to just walk with people. Because when you do, it, it makes a difference. And that individual, Paul there, who's getting ready to stand before Caesar Nero, who knows what's going through his mind, he took new courage. Why? Because someone was willing to be his friend. No matter who you are, no matter who they are, let's understand that we need each other, right? Someone says, well, I don't do much, and that's okay. We talked about this already. 1 Corinthians 12, 23, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And think about that. They seem to be weaker, but they're, they're necessary, right? And what we find is that Warren Wiersbe said, the believers you think you can do without may actually be the ones you need the most. And so be careful. Know that as a church in Christ, we are invincible. And so let that wipe away all your fears so that you can follow him by faith. Know, know that as a Christian in Christ, we can live a life that's honorable. So discover your gifts, develop them, deploy them, exercise them, serve in the body because as you lay hands on people or whatever your gifts are god will do a work and then thirdly as a church in christ well, be helpful and just walk with people be friends encourage them because you never know that little random act of kindness might make all the difference in the world when that individual now faces the new challenges that are ahead of them. And then the last point in our study for today is that in Christ, the church is faithful. In Christ, the church is faithful. And so we read in verse 16, now when we came to Rome, 
the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. And so when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And so Paul arrives in Rome. He has a rented house. We're going to see later. He's going to be there for two years. And the thing about Paul that just blows me away is he doesn't waste time. I mean, you know, a few days later, he's already got the leaders from the, you know, the, the, the whole, this, we're talking about Rome, the Jewish leaders there at his house. Somehow he had organized it. I, I, he probably sent some text messages and, you know, picked up the phone. Somehow, man, the word got out. There's this guy, he's under arrest and he's calling for the Jewish leaders to come. They didn't know who he was. It says right there, we didn't hear anything about you. It's not like he was some famous person, but Paul got it done. Paul was faithful. Paul was zealous. He doesn't lose focus. I mean, he arrives in Rome. He gets a place where he's under arrest, and he doesn't waste time. In three days, he's able to gather together the Jewish leaders, share what he needs to share. They hadn't heard anything about him. That's okay, because Paul, at the end, he says right here, I'm not really here to share about myself. Notice again what we read there in verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Listen, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be ordained by the church. You are already ordained by God. And you have a message, a message of love, and a message of hope in a world that's hopeless. You know, this last week, it was just heartbreaking. A young lady came up to me. She said to me, I don't, I don't want to, you know, take my life, but I don't want to live. What's the enemy doing to her? He's taking away the hope. We have to restore the hope to them. You know, it's interesting when you look at this right here, Paul here is just being faithful. He doesn't stop. Nothing can stop him. It doesn't matter that he's chained or under house arrest. He's still able to gather the people around him. And then in, in verse 21, it says, And then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you, but we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, which is what they call Christianity, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Kind of like today, the world speaking against Christianity. And so it says in verse 23, when they had appointed him a day, many came to him and his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets 
Notice how long this Bible study went from morning till evening. You guys get all upset when I go 35 minutes, man. <laughs> I think we should do a long Bible study from morning till evening. What do you think? One of these Saturdays or Sundays. Let's do this. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed. After Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And, and he's just, he's, he's, he's doing what he's called to do. You know, you might not have a church, but you have nieces and you have nephews and you have cousins and you have compas and you have neighbors and you have friends and you have co-workers and you have students that go to the same class you go. It's not random. You know, and, and Paul here, he's just so faithful in sharing the hope with the people. He's so faithful in sharing Jesus with the people. He's so faithful in sharing the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He's sharing the word of God, Moses and, and the prophets. And this is what we need to do as well. You know, we have to shine and, and we have to share. These guys hadn't heard much about the gospel other than they said everyone's speaking against it. And so Paul sits a day and he invites them over. And from morning till evening, he shares the Lord. And although for us it's so simple to see Jesus had fulfilled so much prophecy, Paul opened the scrolls and showed them. Unfortunately, uh, the, we read right here that only some believe. And what we find, what happened, we think it's implied in the text, is that for the most part, most of them did not believe. And it's interesting because you have the same message, you have the same messenger, but you have completely different reactions. Why is it that from the same message, one person sleeps and another person is saved? Why? Why is the same message, same messenger, why? why? And he says right here, seeing they won't see, hearing they won't hear, it doesn't reach their heart. Something's wrong with their heart. And it's an interesting passage there in the book of Isaiah because that's when the Lord appeared to Isaiah. It was that great commission. He's sitting on the throne. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the glory of his robe, his train, it filled the temple and you got angels and it's such a glorious scene. Right And the incense and the doors are, the posts are shaking and Isaiah sees the Lord. You read it in Isaiah chapter 6 and then when Isaiah sees the Lord, he says, Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord of hosts and he thinks he's dead and what does God do? He takes the coal from the altar and the cherubim comes and washes away the sin on his lips and now he's clean. And then Isaiah hears a voice and the Lord is having this discussion whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. 
And you, and you look at that, that call and that commission of Isaiah, and you would think it's going to be amazing, man. Everybody's going to get saved. But then this is what follows. After that great calling and commission, he says, go, but I want you to know that most people won't listen. Now, most people, they won't come to church, and the ones that do come to church, how many of them really love the Lord? How many of them are really serving their Savior? How many are completely committed, sold out and surrendered? It's very rare. Paul knew it. We need to know it. And what we find is that even though we see this a lot, and I'm not giving up, I still want the whole wide world to get saved. I still want all the 120,000 citizens of Almani to get plugged into the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll never give up. But, but that's not how we do ministry. We don't do it based on results. We base, it's based on responsibility. And even Isaiah experienced this. And yeah, sometimes it's a little discouraging. And I know you guys, don't get me wrong, it's just we have different reactions, but... I trip out and sometimes there's just like a gloss look over people's eyes. And you can tell who's tracking and you can tell who's not. And I think a lot of times it has to do with just those people coming with the open heart, with the expectant heart. Lord, speak to me. Lord, I'm open to you. Lord, I'm listening. Here Paul is sharing and, and, and he's just so faithful. The Jews, generally speaking, they didn't believe. They didn't listen. And so he concludes in verse 28, God now shifts over to the Gentiles. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. And then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, here it is, so beautiful, and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Another fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11 in verse 10. And so Paul just preached to anyone who would come his way, who would ever come into his path. It didn't matter that he was under house arrest. It didn't slow him down. He just kept preaching and teaching the things concerning Christ and the kingdom. And with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And even if they did, even if they said, be quiet, don't talk, I still talk. You better still talk. Because the day's going to come where they're going to tell you, don't teach Romans chapter 1. You don't call homosexuality sin. It's even creeping into the church. It's so ugly that Christians would come to that place and they would say, well, I don't know for sure if that's a sin when that sin sends people to hell. And we're going to applaud that? No, absolutely not. The day's going to come, and I'm telling you guys, it's going to come where they will tell you to be quiet. But I pray, because I'm older now, so I probably just got a few years yet, but some of you that are younger, if the Lord tarries, it's going to be like that. Please never commit the sin of silence. Paul here, he just kept preaching. He just kept teaching. He just kept scattering the seed. And he leaves the results in God's hands. And in doing this, I think we have a really good example of what church is all about. Listen. 
When you look at the book of Acts, it's interesting. It doesn't have a doxology. There's not like the closing of the book like there is in all the other books, you know? You know, and this is Paul reciting with my own hand, the Lord Jesus be with you and bless you and keep you. No, there's no doxology. There's no closing there. It's like, it's almost like it leaves you hanging. You know, Paul will eventually be set free after two years. While he's there, he writes, you know, letters of the Bible like Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. Um, while he's there, he's just sharing the Lord. People are getting saved. He's going to stand before Caesar. He's going to get set free. He's going to continue in ministry. Some say even going all the way to Spain. Then he's going to write 1 Timothy. He's going to write Titus. He's going to write 2 Timothy. And then, because this is probably AD 61, 62, in the year AD 67, he gets arrested again. And then they chop off his head. And then he goes into eternity. But what we find right here is that he becomes an example to us. And if all the church, and I'm not saying we're all going to be an apostle, but if all the church understands that we're part of this body and we just have to do our part, then I, I tell you what, and I'm not, I'm, just, I'm not just like, what do they call it, blowing steam? Is that what they say? Whatever. I don't know how to say it, but I, I, I want you to understand this. I'm not messing around. If every member... If every person, you don't have to take a test and, you know, join a church and become a member. No, you're a member when you get saved. If everyone begins to do their part, I know we're living in hard times and I know we're living in the last of the last days. But if everyone catches that vision and does their part, I'm telling you what, Jesus can bring a revival. He can do a work. But we all have to catch that vision. The only question is, will we? You know, a while back, I remember uh, reading a story. We can have the musicians come forward. And it was about a man who was in a car accident. And somehow the car got overturned and the car was on fire. And so he couldn't get out. And so an individual ran to the car and they tried to lift it. And, and he couldn't because it was too heavy. So then another individual ran. And they were trying to, to lift it. It couldn't, have, it couldn't do it. And there's more and more eventually... Eventually, enough people gathered around that car and they were able to lift it up and save that man. And that's exactly how the church works, you guys. It's not just one person. It's just Jesus working through his body, through his people. And as we um, all do our part, then, then people will get saved. You know, the church will get stronger. And maybe you're here today and as a Christian... Just be honest. You're not in right relationship with God. I pray that today, right here, right now, you would cry out from your heart, God, make me right. Help me, Lord, because you know I'm lukewarm. God, light a fire in me. If you're here as a Christian, don't leave lukewarm. And, and if you're here and you're, you're not a Christian, then you're the one in that car that's burning and it's about to explode and you're about to die unless you give your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died on a cross for you. I don't know if you know the type of love that God has for you, but I was just thinking about this ice cream they have at Baskin Robbins. I, I, they've had it for years. I didn't even know they had it, but it's called Love Potion. Have you guys tried it? I just discovered it. It's so good. 
And it's been here all these years and I never knew about the love potion. And I think in one sense, that's kind of the way it works when you give your life to Christ. Like I never knew that, that someone, that God would love me so much that he would give his son to die for me. And if I place my faith in him, I can go to heaven. I can be forgiven. I can be set free. And so if you don't know that love, I pray that today you would open up your heart and you would let Jesus in.